On this bonus episode of Fifth Emission, Joshua Cosman talks to Elliot Franks, a transgender classical singer in the Bay Area. My voice just completely disappeared. I mean, it was in tatters. In today's regular episode, we talked about how transitioning impacts singers. It's different for men and women. We also talked about why the classical world is starting to become a little more inclusive, and Joshua told us about the reaction to his reporting. You can find that episode on the feed as well. We'll be right back with Joshua Cosman and Elliot Franks. Here's Chronicle classical music critic Joshua Cosman's conversation with Elliot Franks, who's a trans singer here in the Bay Area. Elliot, thank you so much for joining us. It's good to talk to you in person and face-to-face. Tell us a little bit about your your musical past and present. You had a long career as a mezzo-soprano, mm-hmm. going back to your, your young days, right? I mean, right. You, you started out as a singer very early in life, as I understand, right? Yes, it's one of those, you know, um, family legends that I was singing before I could talk kind of thing. You know, wow. that was okay. always what my grandma said, but grandmothers say things like that, don't they? Um, I always did sing. It was always something I loved to do. And um, I grew up in the school choirs, you know, and then in church choirs, where where I got my love of church music from. And then um, after that, I I had a very because of my church music singing, I think I had a very white voice, very sort of pure, almost boy soprano kind of voice, um, which I didn't think would get accepted to music school, and mm-hmm. I was correct. So I went <laughs> and did a science degree um, in the meantime while I waited for it to sort of grow up a bit. And then I went to uh, the Royal Northern College of Music in Manchester um, for a study there. And then I got a Rotary Foundation scholarship to study over here. And yeah. here I am. <laughs> and you spent decades, uh, you know, uh, singing in choruses at, and in operatic roles. I remember hearing you many times over the years singing with the Philharmonia Baroque Orchestra in the chorale. Right. Um, always in the alto section and always distinguished a little bit from your fellow altos by your choice of of clothing. Yeah, eventually I got to the point where I I remember I was riding in the car with Bruce Lamott one day, the the, the chorale director, and I said, is there any reason I can't wear a tux? And he said, well, I don't think so. Uh So I did. And I was much happier after that. (laughs) But um, yeah, I've sung with uh, Philharmonia Chorale, with um, San Francisco Opera Chorus, San Francisco Symphony Chorus, and then I did a lot of freelance concert work, oratorio, opera. Yeah. But all this time, and we talked about this uh, in preparation for this article, um, the your non-musical life was... Uh, how should we say? I mean, there were there were so, a lot of the, of the gender issues were a source of pain and, and unhappiness to you in various ways. Do you want to say something? Yeah, it's very hard to explain how one feels when one is transgender. I mean, it's like how do you know that you are something that you're not when, when that you see in the mirror? You mm-hmm. know? Um, but if somebody you know if you woke up one day and somebody said that you were blue and kept <laughs> calling you blue all the time. You'd sort of start to get the the feeling that something's not quite right. People mm-hmm. are not seeing me as I am. I see. And um, yeah, it's, it it was always something I knew from a very early age. Mm-hmm. I was always passed off as a tomboy, you know, <laughs> that sort of thing, um, or just being bloody minded, as my mother would say, uh, by not wanting to wear the right clothes and that sort of, you know. But um, yeah, it was always always an issue. Um, until I actually found out that transgender was an actual real thing. 
How did that knowledge come to you? That came to me when I was sitting in the living room at home, um, feeling pretty miserable, and a program came on the television. I remember it as clear as day. It was called George and Julia. And it was about a guy called George who was a cook, a chef in London, I think it was. And he was transgender and he decided he was going to go through gender reassignment. And uh, he had a meeting with everybody at work and said when he came to work after a certain period of time, he was going to be Julia. And I just remember sitting there thinking, oh, my gosh, that's somebody who feels exactly how I feel. Mm. And the funny thing was I had this horrible feeling that if my mother realized what was on the television, she was going to turn the channel over. So she was reading a book, and I sat with the newspaper sort of covering my face and not reading the newspaper and <laughs> looking at the television to watch this thing. And I believe there was a, a supposedly a 10-year sequel after that, but I, I've never seen that part mm. of it. But he had a really horrible time. Yeah. This was yeah. quite a number of years ago. Many I, years. Yeah. I think I was maybe 17. Oh, I see. Yeah. Oh, you were young at the, Oh, yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So that planted the seed in your mind, but it took a long time until you were 50 or so to... Well, I I did realize, you know, having done some science and um, I I did realize anything that I did hormonally was going to affect my voice. Mm -hmm. Also, there was no support at all of Mm. any kind. I mean, it just wasn't one of those things that was talked about. It wasn't recognized. Um, People would just think you were crazy. (laughs) You know, it was the old sort of back to the asylum sort of thing. Um, And that was... um, Difficult to wrap, to wrap my head around. And I always, I, I tried very hard when I was younger just to be me and figured that it was very much an educational situation that, um, you know, when I would get bullied by kids or kids in the neighborhood would say, oh, you a boy or you a girl, you know, I mean, my answer could be, well, why does it matter? <laughs> you know, yeah. why, does, why do you care? And I often did that, actually. I would often deal with people like that and mm-hmm. engage them in dialogue about it because usually their um their arguments are have no no foundation right you know? right it's just it's, personal bias or what they think they should say yeah exactly yeah. so as you started thinking more and more about um, gender transition you must have looked into what it would mean for you as as a singer and for your you know the f- the physical reality of your life as a musician and what did you find and um um well, I think I really sort of pushed it away from my mind for a lot once I began singing as a career. Mm-hmm. I think if if I had not been able to start a, a, a even a local career as a singer, um, I might have come to certain conclusions more quickly. Mm-hmm. But I so loved singing and I was so comfortable on stage that mm-hmm. um, that was really my great passion. And so I sort of... You know, and it. you felt that it was either or at that point. Yeah. That, yeah. Yeah. I mean, I've always been, uh, people will say I'm a bit of an Eeyore, but um, I think I'm a realist, not uh-huh. a pessimist. Um, you know, I figured that with my luck, um, if I did hormonal change, I would be left with nothing. And yeah. then, and still to be proved completely wrong. But, um. <laughs> well, wait, what, what, what was it that, that sort of, Gave you the permission or the push to to actually go ahead with it and 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 that w- I, I mean let's be frank put your singing career rather at risk right well one was it was age uh-huh. I got to fifty and I knew that I had played all the boys parts that I could play 
And um, I had a life ahead of me of playing, you know, crabby old women, which can be fun, but doesn't pay enough to keep you, you mm -hmm. know, um, in groceries. And um, I also had some personal situations where I had lost a job that I had had for about 18 years. It was a singing job. Mm -hmm. It was very, very important to me, um, not just as regular finance, but as um, a spiritual home and a, and a place where I, you know, felt comfortable. Mm -hmm. um, and then I had my heart broken. <laughs> <sighs> it has to be there somewhere, doesn't it? Um, and I was just like, you know, I've just sort of had enough. Uh -huh, uh -huh. Just had enough. And I s just talked to myself a bit and I said, okay, you're never going to be a young man, but you can at least be a middle-aged one for a little <laughs> while. With the pot belly and everything, it's all there. <laughs> And, and and so then you did the transition and you found yourself with a new voice that you had never had before and didn't had no experience of yeah. managing. Yeah. Talk a little bit about that. It's How did that go? Completely terrifying. I suddenly found out that singing is very difficult. <laughs> it had been easy for you all Incredibly along. easy. Yeah. I, I was one of those people that could roll out of bed at six o'clock in the morning and sing anything. Oh, I never warmed you. up for anything in my life. Mm. Partly because I was scared, I was scared I would either not do enough or do too much. Mm -hmm. I never, never did anything like that. A very, very bad discipline in terms of self-discipline, and unfortunately, that is now kicking me in the butt. But yeah, first, first of what happened, what happened, and you would have heard this in the symposium actually, was um, my voice just completely disappeared. I mean, it was in tatters. Mm. There were times I couldn't even phonate. So you mean like as though you had laryngitis or something? I mean, really just no no sound coming out? Kind or? of, but no pain and no um, no other symptoms. Right, right, right. Um, but I would open my mouth and try to engage as I would for singing, and nothing would happen. Oh it was my. just unbelievable. And, um, you know, really, really very, very depressing at times. But slowly... And surely it sort of started to come back and, you know, we've worked on building up a range. And, and what I've lost is a three and a half octave range. Now I've got one octave. But a very beautiful one. <laughs> well, it's not, I wouldn't say very beautiful. I uh, say it's kind of pretty. Oh, okay. <laughs> <laughs> but, um, you know, it's okay. It's, uh -huh. it's serviceable, but it's not quite a big enough range, I don't feel myself, for um, to be particularly useful. Uh -huh. um, even chorally at this point. So um, I have to sing little, this is the irony, I'm stuck between two places again. I have to sing bits of bass and bits of tenor because oh. I can't sing all of either. <laughs> and we talked about this a little bit. You've had to have made a, make a career change at this point in your yes. life. But that, mm -hmm. that you say has worked out rather well for you. It's worked out very well. Tell, tell me more. Yeah, I am now a full-time funeral arranger. I, I actually came to thinking about the funeral industry um, through singing, through church singing. If you sing at a wedding, the pay's better, you know, but you're always like a little something daddy paid extra for, just sort of <laughs> wallpaper. Nobody really cares if you're there or not. But at a funeral, you can make an enormous difference to people through music. And that always touched me a lot more than doing sort of the more celebratory things at, at church. Um, so I always, I always had a, a, an affinity for that. Um, and so when I uh, had the opportunity to explore actually going into the funeral industry, um, I went at it with that same aspect of being able to help people at a point when they're at a very, very difficult point in their lives. 
Um, and you can't take the pain away, but you can help to take some of the immediate stress away and help them put together something that um, memorializes their loved one in a suitable and, and a way that will make them feel not necessarily good, but comfortable with how things have, have gone, you know. Yeah. I uh, feel like they're honoring somebody. So um, I was very, very fortunate. I, I ended up um, being hired as a funeral arranger. Well, thank you so much. Before we go, I wanted to see about having you uh, maybe do a little bit before and after just so listeners can have a sense of where your voice was and where it is now. Mm-hmm. Um, and you have brought us a, a recording of maybe you can say a little bit of what, what that recording is that you brought. Yeah, the recording is from... Um, uh, a situation I was fortunate enough to to be in, which was uh, Philharmonia Broke Orchestra and Chorale some years ago, and I can't remember how long ago now, um, was doing uh, the Mozart version of Messiah, mm. I think it was, where all the arias and everything are switched around in the voices. Right. And um, their, their um, mezzo-soprano got sick, and uh, so I was asked to step in. Uh-huh which I did, and I was fortunate enough to get to do one of the performances that they recorded. And so it's the recit and aria um, Behold and See, which is normally done by the tenor mm-hmm. in the regular version. Um, but I never really liked singing Messiah as an alto because it always sat a little low for me. And then nobody would hire me as a soprano just because they would say, well, you're a mezzo-soprano or an alto, you can't do this. It's another problem with singing. Um, so this actually, because it was the tenor, originally the tenor part sat, sat beautifully. Perfectly. So yeah, so that's what that is. It's very, very short. And, and now, today, you're singing uh, a little Schumann for us in your new baritone voice yeah. with trepidation. That was um, uh, In der Fremde by Robert Schumann. Thank you so much for coming in and for your candor and your openness. And it's a pleasure to see you again. Likewise, thank you. That was Elliot Franks talking with Joshua Cosman. Thank you to Joshua Cosman for reporting on this. You can read his story on datebook.sfchronicle.com.
Fifth and Mission is part of the San Francisco Chronicle Podcast Network. If you like this show, we'd love it if you'd subscribe to it wherever you get your podcasts. And if you've got a minute to give us a quick review, that helps us build our audience so we can keep growing. You can support Fifth and Mission and the newsroom that creates it with a subscription to the San Francisco Chronicle. There are print and digital editions. Find out more at sfchronicle.com slash subscribe.